G'day guys, Luke McElroy for Mets Performance Consulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast. Joined today by Nick Jankowskis. A uh, long time between drinks, so to speak. We've been a little bit quiet on the podcast, um, doing a few other things. Obviously, we're still waiting to reopen and all, and all the rest, which I'll quickly talk on now. So a lot of people are asking us, when are we reopening? Um, the short answer is we don't have a definite date. It's going to be sometime between the, the next um, the next re- relaxation of, of restrictions. On I think it's the 19th of October is, is the due date. And between the, the last one, which is at the moment, the 23rd of November. So we'll, as soon as we know, we'll tell everybody, we've got a wait list of people who, who have inquired. Um, we'll, we'll post it over our socials, we'll send out emails, we'll put a podcast out or, or whatever. But, but uh, rest assured, the second we know when we can reopen to the general population, um, we will let you know. Today, what we want to talk about is, um, I was just scrolling through Facebook this morning and, I cut, and, and an ad came up on my newsfeed from AeroFit. Um, and, and AeroFit basically, is, as a quick overview, is it's a, a little device that you put in your mouth um, and it's, it's inspiratory muscle training. So it's basically restricting the, the air that you can breathe in. So it's harder to breathe the air in, which is going to um, strengthen your breathing muscles and theoretically it's going to improve performance. Now, we're going to talk about the potential aerobic benefits in a sec, but I want to talk specifically about this ad. Um, and we might be able to, I'm sure Nick, you can probably edit it so we can put the, the photo. I've got a screenshot on my phone. We'll put yeah, it, up chuck it up over the top, but yeah. Are watching it. But it was basically saying, so it's got a, a picture of a, a, a national champion track cyclist. And it says, after three weeks of using AeroFit, I increased my top speed from 60 to 67 kilometers per hour. And so Nick will put it up. I've got it on my phone just there. But pretty, pretty bold claim, 60 to 67 kilometers per hour. And because we're talking about max speed or top speed, we're really talking about an anaerobic adaptation. Um, so they're saying that if we can do, if, if, we, if we can do some respiratory training, we're going to improve our maximal speed, which is an anaerobic method. Um, I'm glad we jumped on now, Nick, and not half an hour ago, because I was pretty up and about about this. I was like, I've already, caught, normally I just, I see this, this stuff on the yeah. newsfeed. I just look sort of, I scroll on like whatever. There's always going to be rubbish in the industry and all that sort of stuff. But this one is just blatantly inaccurate. Like it is yeah. so bad that I, I just, I had to comment on it and I had to say something. I can, I can, I can sort of get the, all right, there's some aerobic benefit, very minuscule amount of aerobic benefit. I, I can sort of let that go. But to say there's going to be an anaerobic benefit to be increased from 60 to 67 kilometers per hour in max speed by doing some breathing is absolutely ridiculous. Um, in three weeks, you- three weeks as well, like a 7K an hour jump in, in your top speed in three weeks is, is, would be a significant change regardless of what you did anyway. So that's, that's already a, a big trigger for me was like it, it's quite a big change. But um, in, terms of, in terms of the anaerobic side of things, and I think I just jumped in on top of you there, but like at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're in an event or in a situation where anaerobic fundamentally means without oxygen. So realistically this athlete potentially depending on what gear ratio they've got in if they're a track cyclist and and how well they can get out of the blocks like potentially they're going to be able to hold their breath and perform that maximal sprint with zero breathing at all then obviously you're gonna have to breathe in the recovery phase but if the actual performance isn't requiring oxygen then it 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 is a bit of a uh, a sort of strange thing to claim that could be a benefit from an an aerobic perspective by doing something that would have more of more alignment with an aerobic event was the major thing that stu- stood out for me. Yeah, and look, I've got no doubt that this this cyclist got from sixty to sixty-seven in three weeks, but it wasn't because of breathing. Hmm. Uh, and I had a look on the ad, and, and it was um, they had a, a one-minute video, and it explained how she broke her collarbone 
know, recently. And then <laughs> she claimed that AeroFit helped speed up her recovery. Um, and then it showed her in the gym and back on the bike and all the rest. So really what's happened is clearly she's broken her collarbone. She's detrained. She's stopped yeah. training. She's had a reversal of adaptation. And then all of a sudden, oh, I do three weeks of doing some strength training again and getting on the bike. And she's improved from 60 to 67 max speed, which is probably 67 is probably what she was doing. If maybe a little bit slower, but that's what she was doing at her, at her max when she was fit. So yeah. to, to try to use this as a link to, increase you know improved breathing muscles is going to improve your, your max speed is 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 misleading at best and a blatant a blatant lie you know at, at worst um and similarly it's also that they will get because they use speed right like speed isn't even a an output measure like you can increase your speed by getting lighter more aerodynamic changing you know, your clothing whatever helmets. having longer to get up to max speed like i could get up i could get faster in you know a 300 meter sprint than I could a 100 meter sprint because I've got more time, time to get up to speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I'd be interested to see what it said if it was a power output measure. It still probably would increase, not because of breathing, just because I'm, mm. I'm back into training and getting neuromuscular benefits. But like, the, the typical example I'll give you is is if you if you either detrain or you stop training and then you start training again, is you're going to get a significant improvement. Look at the 2000 watt challenge I did, you know, two years ago, or whatever, a year and a half ago. Took a bunch of time off and came back and smashed it. Yeah, we went from 1,230 watts to 1,941. So 55% increase in 10 weeks. It wasn't, I guarantee you, I wasn't breathing any differently. <laughs> Nothing yeah. to do with my breathing. It was, hey, I, I didn't do strength training. And then I did do strength training. I got the neuromuscular benefits. I learned how, my brain learned how to switch on my muscle fibers. Um, they learned how to switch them on in a coordinated manner at a really high rate. And I experienced muscle hypertrophy. Uh, which increases your max power output potential. So the neuromuscular adaptations linked with the, the actual physiological increase in, in size of fast switch fibers is what produce more power and therefore also increase more speed under the same conditions. So um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a little bit ridiculous. And we we're just talking before we started recording, Nick. Like if you're talking about doing like a maximal effort, whether that's weightlifting, like a clean and jerk or something like that, or or even like a whatever 100 meter sprint, running 50 meter sprint. How would you actually use your breathing to improve performance? Because there are ways you do it, but yeah. you know. Yeah, the, the, well, the primary way, and I always explain this to people in terms of like, what, what is your, like, what's the natural instinct you go to? Like, if you think, if you really think about a 100 meter sprint, go and run it, and then really think about what you did, you then start to realize that in the first 30 to 40 meters, you're not actually breathing because you're just worried about trying to move your arms and legs as fast as you can. Um, same, same on the bike, any of those really short events, you're not, you don't have to, when I say you don't have time to think about breathing, you don't because you're trying to move everything as quickly as you possible as possible. Things like weightlifting, um, they always teach in Olympic lifting, but then also good form is to is to brace through your abdominal by creating that intra-abdominal pressure by essentially holding your breath and, and regulating your breath so that you can lift more weight. Um, you, you watch an Olympic weightlift, that's why that a handful of them pass out is when they hold their breath and they they've got almost too much pressure and they don't release it in time because they're too slow to lift the weight you end up with a bad scenario, but that allows them to then put 150, 200 kilos over their head um, at a body weight of like, they might only be hundred kilos themselves or 110 kilos themselves. And they can put double their weight over their head. So that, that's how, that's how we can use our breath and, and use the, use that side of it to an advantage in a, in a performance aspect in an anaerobic event. Um, but like you said, there's so many, there's so many other potential factors that could have also been going on other than, necessarily an improvement somewhere in performance it's it's all these things like i sort of mentioned before offline it's like 
you go up to we've seen like Mexico City Olympics. You, you go up and do do this do this sprint at a high altitude velodrome. We got less air resistance. Speed's probably going to go up. Um, that's not going to require any additional ability to breathe. They're, they're going to be bracing, holding their breath, so they can produce the most force and leverage off that stable position in terms of their their torso, and then just punch out as much power as they can. And then eventually you're going to have to start to breathe. And that's where that coming back to that 100 meter example I used before that breaking point really in hundred meters where you start to feel like you have to breathe hard is probably about 50, 60 meters in is where you start to feel like you have to breathe because the body's now going, I have to catch up now and have to get the oxygen in to, to repay that, that deficit that we've, we've just been through to increase the workload so much. Yeah. It's no, it's no, it's not news that, that if you're doing a maximal effort such as, you know, weightlifting or whatever, you want to increase your intra-abdominal pressure. You hold your breath so that you build up all this pressure so that you can produce, you have a more stable platform so you can produce more force. It's just like, um, in a clean and jerk, you're going to, you're going to hold your breath to lift it up to your, to your shoulders. Then you'll take a few breaths because you know, you'd be tired and then you'll hold your breath again in the, in the next maximal effort phase. And that's why weightlifters would, would wear something like a, um, what do they call them? Like a weight belt or whatever, yeah. um, uh, to, to, to keep all the pressure in. So as you said, like you're talking about speed, um, maybe I'm simplifying because you don't have to stop my head here, but you're looking at the power output you're producing, which is going to be neuromuscular factors, your, your fast twitch fiber hypertrophy, maybe a little bit of fuel stores, which is all to do with it, um, and probably intra-abdominal intra pressure, so holding your breath. So nothing to do with oxygen there, purely anaerobic adaptations, and combine that with things like, as you said, any, any external resistance. So, so you've got mass, your own mass, the mass of your bike, you've got rolling resistance of your wheels, You've got air resistance, and then you've obviously got whatever you're wearing, like your skin suit, aerodynamics. So, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to fake a, a higher speed score. Uh, particularly if you go outside, it'd be easy. You could go tailwind. Obviously, yep. indoor velodrome they're talking about. Yeah. But point is, um, the the, cl the claim that anything to do with your your respiratory system is going to improve anaerobic performance, it just can't be true. Like you do yeah. not need oxygen for maximal speed. It is an anaerobic adaptation so um is there anything you want to add to that or can we move on to the aerobic stuff no i think i think it's pretty much it it's it's anaerobic like like i said at the beginning anaerobic fundamentally means without oxygen so yeah. in what possible scenario it, it, does it even sound like a logical idea to try to improve our ability to use take in whatever you want to call it oxygen when we don't need it for that performance so so in summary of the of the anaerobic uh, claims that were made through AeroFit, um, I've got no doubt that this athlete did improve from 60 to 67 kilometers per hour in three weeks, but it wasn't due to the breathing. It was due to neuromuscular factors getting back in the gym, so on and so forth. So I think it's very, um, I think it's dangerous. I think it's unethical for, for these companies to be claiming things like that, which are totally uh, inaccurate. So I've got to say a, a big middle finger for that anaerobic <laughs> adaptations for, for AeroFit. I'm happy for you to jump on and, and, um, and, and talk it through with me and show me some evidence. I'm more than happy to take your call, but uh, it's rubbish. It really is rubbish for anaerobic adaptations. On the aerobic side, right, I don't want to just completely throw... Bashing for everything. <laughs> yeah. Rubbish at what them. Are the what are the positives that they're trying to, trying to achieve here? Right, yeah. So I can understand aerobic benefits, okay? And they are minuscule for healthy individuals, but you're not going to go backwards by using this device, all right? Now, from my understanding, this, this device, so you, you use it separate to your training. So you're not, not like the old altitude training masks, which we know are rubbish, where you'd wear them during your session. This is a separate thing. So you do your session as normal, but then you might go off and do twice a day, 30 breaths into this um, little device, and that's going to train your respiratory muscles. Now, 
from my understanding, this is really effective in people that actually have weak lungs or weak muscles, weak, sorry, uh, respiratory muscles. It's going to be effective. If they have like um, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder or some other condition where your lungs are actually weak, then this is going to strengthen. It's going to be beneficial. For the healthy population who, you know, breathing's very rarely in endurance athletes, at least ones that we work with, it very rarely is breathing the issue. Um, it's, it, it's not going to make you go backwards, but it's not going to give you 5% benefit. Don't, don't, don't go and think that you're going to go and prove 5% because yeah. even if hypothetically we did the breathing training and we, we improved our max ventilation by, oh, let's even go on the high side. Let's say it's 5% and we improved it by, I doubt it, but 5% and, we, and our tidal volume was higher and, and we could breathe in and out faster so we can get more, more, more air um, in a minute. Even if these things happened, it's only one piece of the pie. I think we did a podcast not that long ago talking about ergogenic aids and how everything works together. You need the respiratory, yeah. the cardiovascular, and the muscular to work together. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. So even if you could take in more air a little bit faster, 5% better, for example, doesn't mean you're going to be able to diffuse that oxygen from the lungs to the bloodstream. And your bloodstream is not going to have more hemoglobin to carry the oxygen. And then your heart's not going to be bigger so that it can pump more blood per beat and per minute. And your muscles aren't gonna have more capillaries to diffuse oxygen into them. And you're not gonna have more myoglobin to carry the oxygen to the mitochondria and you won't have more mitochondria to get aerobic energy. So even if we got this very small change for a healthy individual, we're not talking significance in performance. We're talking at best, I'm, I'm throwing a number out here, it's not backed by science, but jump in if you want to. I'm thinking at best 1%, but that would be a stretch. Yeah, it, it'd, be, it'd be a very minimal. Minimal change for the like, like we said, it, for someone who genuinely needs some development of their respiratory muscles because of some sort of inhibition, some sort of um, chronic disorder, uh, even like uh, the other case I think of is like someone who's been in like a severe car crash and had significant trauma that they they have to recover from. Those types of situations are, are, are the different cases. We're not necessarily talking about those from a performance aspect. We're talking about healthy athlete, reasonably high performing. They've already got a pretty good ability to be able to take in air. Um, it's just then a case of like, how much does it actually make a difference? Um, yeah, one percent, may, maybe. But even then, for for a lot of top end athletes, particularly, and this is where I sort of struggle with some of these devices when top end athletes and elite athletes are seemingly using them. Is most of the time it's a, it's not even a it's not even a one percent in performance. It's a maybe one percent for everything that they do, like their gym session or their, their one piece of nutritional advice that they're going to take is, is a, it might give you 1%. I think that's what we lose in the industry is like, it's like, Oh, it'll give us a 1% gain by doing all these little things and like all the recovery methods and all these different ergogenic aids we can go through. It's like, it's not necessarily even a guaranteed 1%. So that that's kind of, I guess the scale that we're working with. It's like, okay, for, for one person, it may, give you a little bit of benefit, but the other person, it just may not work at all. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's something like, I don't know if we want to talk about costing and things like that for the average athlete. I don't think it's something necessarily worth spending, spending too much time or money on. Um, yeah. Is there potentially a benefit? Yes. And I, we can, I, we can somewhat see the logic where they're going with the aerobic side of things. And like, I guess the, the thought process behind it, but from a practical, like what, and I mean, if anyone's followed any of our stuff, we've always been, what's our best bang for buck for athletes? What is going to give us the, sim the simplest method to give us the best return on your time investment, which is your training. And that's 
fundamentally like the, the basics, like you go and do the basics well in terms of whether it's stuff in the gym and doing strength training, whether it's going out and doing VO2 intervals, the basics of threshold, that, that's why they've been so successful for so many athletes is because they go and do the simple things really well. And if, if one of them uses this 1%, maybe 1%, they do get a bit of a gain. Cool. But then we also can't underestimate something I like to sort of think about with this is you can't underestimate the placebo benefit of something like that too. Like the, the belief effect research is super strong to be like, you could, if as long as someone strong enough has a strong enough belief that it's going to work. And in this case, an athlete who's had a collarbone injury has to recover and get back to performance. If they, in their mind, if they believe that this respiratory breathing device is going to help them and they're so set on it, they're probably going to improve just out of placebo effect rather than actually necessarily using the device. So that's also where we, like you kind of go, is it actually a genuine gain from doing it or is it, is it a psychological change that they just so strongly thought it's going to work. So it does work. Um, yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of things that could happen. And so I had a, look, a quick look at some of their research and it was like, you know, 11 week program and, and they did it for 11 weeks. And, and you know, that, that it, both groups improved in time trial performance, but the, the one using the AeroFit improved more, but then it had no information about their actual training program, what they were doing for that 11 weeks. And it was only yep. 14 people, so seven and seven. Like, as as yeah. you know, I've small samples. Yeah, I've seen a few of your, like, your, Insta, uh, your, your LinkedIn posts lately about yeah, research. And there's so many things that can go wrong in, in a research study. And, and, and there's always that bias as well. So just quickly back to costing. I know we weren't really going to mention it too much, but I think it's worth, I think it is worth mentioning. Like this, this we're looking at like just for the the device. It's like four twenty nine US, which I don't know what's that probably five fifty six hundred dollars Australian. And, and it's a new Garmin. Yeah, <laughs> a new Garmin. Or and I was just going to just come away there. Like that that might get you a one percent if you're lucky. You might get your one yeah. percent. We we sell our subscription for less than that for twelve months, and we guarantee you'll get more than one percent. <laughs> yeah over 12 months and that and that and that wasn't a sales pitch by any means but my, my, my point being is in in an expensive sport such as triathlon cycling run, running whatever you know that's a lot of a lot of money for a one percent maybe gain versus yeah. just for most people go and get a better training program or go to the gym or, or get some better advice whatever whatever it yeah. is there's lots of things that you can do to, to guarantee more improvement um i think we can wrap it up there so i think in summary of today um i, I don't often jump on to to call out companies or brands or whatever but i wanted to make it very clear that any anaerobic benefit for, for something to do with breathing is, is rubbish it, it really is rubbish um if you want to improve your max speed or your max power output go to the gym get on the bike and do maximal efforts nothing to do with breathing on the aerobic side as nick said before if you've got something you know wrong you've got weak muscles um weak inspiratory muscles such as you know copd or or, or something like that then this is absolutely going to be good for that costly but very very good for that um, and then when you're talking healthy people that don't have a, a deficit in strength and they're like you know mm. very rarely do i find that somebody's breathing muscles get fatigued before their legs do yeah um then look you're not going to it's not going to be detrimental to performance if you just do it you know as prescribed separate from your current training it's not going to be bad but for the cost of whatever it is you make the call on whether that's beneficial to you or not um anything to add before we wrap up i think that's pretty much it all good. All right, that'll do it for today. I so say we'll, we'll touch base the second we know when we're reopening. Um, hopefully you found today useful, a little bit different, and uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Bye for now.